Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to the Effective Teaching Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Jackson, and we are in episode 85. Today, I'm talking with Dr. Judy Willis. She's been a neuroscience for 15 years and a teacher for 10 years after that. And she's going to talk to us and explain to us the neuroscience behind how students learn and what we can do in our classroom to help make sure that our students are getting the understanding and the knowledge that they need to be successful in their learning and to be motivated for future learnings that come. Well, Judy, thank you so much for joining me today for this podcast. Can you tell us a little bit about the basics of of how students actually learn? Easy. They learn when they feel good. How how do we all learn? It's pretty, I'll be happy to go into the dopamine and the amygdala and the neurochemistry and the genetics. But learning only takes place when we go from the unknown, progress beyond it. It's not learning when you repeat things. So it's important to think that learning means extending beyond your safety net. It means the satisfaction, the whole brain is devised to respond with positivity when you push your boundaries and get the feedback you're making that you're making progress. So learning is going from the unknown to the known. Yeah. With the unknown. Yeah. And and how does that actually happen? How does that happen for our students and their brains and stuff? How, How does, how do they get new knowledge and actually store it away and keep it and be able to recall it later? Okay. I, Years ago, someone said, what are the major three things? And on the spur of the moment, you know, the three letters I came up with are still pretty true, R-A-D. So it's rad teach or rad, this website, but R-A-D, R, particular activating system, the entry system that determines what information even gets in through a significant attention filter. The R isn't just part of RAD, it's RAS, reticular activating system. It's way down in the lowest part of the brain, just above the spinal cord. So information, then we can talk about what gets through, but everything that we learn has to start by coming through the senses. What gets through from the senses has to be accepted by this very important filter that's really discriminating. This RAS in the low brain is only letting in about 1% of the millions of bits of sensory data reporting in every second. If the information that the brain is going to learn makes it through this attention filter, particular activating system, RAS, it makes it through there, it still has to reach ultimately the furthest part away from it in the brain, the prefrontal cortex. It's below the forehead. It couldn't be further away from the entry point way back here to here. So imagine a diagonal from your forehead to your bottom of your upper, top of your neck And that's where information has to travel. If it wasn't just a matter of distance, there's even something else that's going to be another barrier. Remember, 
attention filter is going to block out 99%, one out of it more than that. <laughs> Although I've taught algebra and maths, uh, you're only letting, the brain's only letting in 1% of the millions of bits every second. If the information from the senses is accepted, before it'll even get to the prefrontal cortex, it next has to go through an emotional filter, a switching station. It, the limbic system, it's in the middle of the brain. It's deep in the brain, one on each side. That has to be allowing comfortable passage. It can't be overworked. And we can talk about how stress puts that in the red zone. Sorry, you made it through the first filter. Now you're not, now you're going back to the low brain where the response is fight, flight, freeze. If it makes it through the attention filter and this amygdala's emotional filter and gets through the memory, short-term, long-term, makes it up there to the prefrontal cortex, then there needs to, needs to be mental manipulation to take the sensory data connect it with prior knowledge and construct it into understanding, which by design, as Jay and I work about, is going to connect it to other neural networks to make it become long-term memory. Without understanding, all of that work will, won't work. <laughs> All that work won't work. So it really does, as I've learned from Jay McTai, is backward design. So if you really want something to reach the prefrontal cortex to become durable, understanding, and long-term memory, you better know what's happening from the entry point to the emotional switching station to transferring it from short-term memory to understanding to enduring long-term memory. Okay. And so is that just R that you've talked about there of the RAD uh, letters or is that all of them? R was the reticular activating system. That's the R-A-S yep. is the R, reticular activating system. Okay. A is the amygdala, the emotional okay. switching Beautiful. station that when it's in a hyper state of excitability, usually from stress, it's going to block passage up to the memory and it's also going to block executive function down to manage reflective responses so just back to the rad r reticular activating system for attention a amygdala the emotional switching station to get on further d is dopamine we understand the, the positive desire of achievement, achieving a challenge that we've all experienced. You know, I set a goal. I worked at it. I saw progress. I saw progress. Not that I had to wait until I ran a marathon six months later. I saw progress each time I clocked myself. I saw progress as a baby yeah, I'd fall down a lot, but oh, now it worked a little better. This dopamine neurotransmitter is released when the brain sees two things, an achievable challenge. So the brain won't put 
out effort. We can talk about why the brain is programmed not to put out effort and energy because it's there for survival of breathing. But with this perfect Goldilocks zone, dopamine is the ticket that gets the brain motivated to persevere, to sustain through setbacks and mistakes and embarrassment. It's why we want the brain puts out the effort to keep going. It feels so good. And the video game model demonstrates it. We can go into more about how it works in a video game, but that's the neurochemistry that promotes sustained motivation and perseverance through mistakes. That's fantastic. So, (laughs) Yeah, so rad. So with rad, I can already, as a teacher, start to see things that I should be doing to make sure that that's working really well. Like uh, for the reticular activating system, I think I got that right. Uh, I need to make sure that my students are focused and paying attention. And so I'm sure there's things that we can do to to promote that. Uh, When it comes to the amygdala, we need to make sure that our students emotionally are feeling, you know, safe and well and are in a good place for learning and not feeling anxious about things, not stressed because of life at home and those kinds of things. So with dopamine, we're then looking at like celebrating, I guess, the success that they have. So in our classrooms, what can teachers do to really help our students to get the new learning that they're getting, take it through the the RAD system, have them actually mentally manipulate the information, be successful and, and experience that dopamine hit? How do we do that with our students? Okay, I'll try to be concise. We can come back to any part you want more details of because... Hopefully you're going to edit this, but anyway, the no, the reticular activating system, this filter that lets in about 1% of millions of sensory data. So, you know, from neuroimaging and neuroelectric studies that the intake filter, this reticular activating system, RAS, gives priority to number one is threat, which I'm going to put aside, even though it's big. If there's not a big perception of threat or danger, it gives priority to what has changed. What's different? The input that will get selected for students is what is a unexpected, but not scary, sound, taste, visual, smell, uh, movement. So walking backwards, If the students are coming in at any grade level or faculty meeting and the teacher's walking backwards, handing out the papers or saying good morning, the brain will alert. The RAS will let that information in, will give it priority because it's not the usual pattern. So here's the RAS, the reticular activating system. If something is unexpected, different from the usual pattern. Patterns are what it does. That gets priority intake to attention. So there's a lot more, but I could, you know, a lot more specific things, uh, changes in color, changes in what someone is wearing, changes in sound, not words. The RAS does not know language, but volume, cadence, Movement, their movement, your movement, colors. That's why we sometimes send home Friday folders of a different color if you want the parents to actually read them. So that 
gets priority through the attention filter. Then what's going to get through the next filter, the amygdala, it's going to let that information go somewhere. That's good news. But where it goes, well, so here's information nicely flowing in, trying to get to the prefrontal cortex for memory. But if the amygdala has already hit that red zone, it's not going to get access. What's going to happen to it? As I said, it's going to go somewhere. But where? It's going to be deflected to, let's call it the lower brain. So if the amygdala has been put into that stress state where it perceives, even though it's not true, if it perceives threat, instead of passage up, that information is sent you know, kind of up but laterally to the reactive behavior brain. And that's when stress results in reaction, fight, flight, freeze, which in humans is acting out or zoning out. And even at best, it's not allowing passage into memory. How do we help it to let the information through? Here's what the amygdala will stop being a blocker. First, helping students recognize that they have this amygdala, that when they are acting out or zoning out, they're not bad, they're not lazy, they're not uh, unintelligent. The behavior is a usually a reactive response to a stressed out amygdala that isn't letting, not only is it not letting information up into memory and understanding, but now we're hitting a new place when it's also blocking top-down flow. In this ultimate high-end real estate, this prefrontal cortex, where we need information to get through to construct during understanding and conceptual memory, also up there are they're developing executive functions, among which and critical to which are understanding one's own emotions and recognizing when stress is building and having the facility to recognize it and do something about it. Okay, so essentially what you're saying is if we can help our students to manage their emotions, it's going to help that information come through the reticular activating system, so that's um, something, their yeah, system, <laughs> and then yes. get through the, through the amygdala up into the um, prefrontal cortex. Is that what I'm... Yes, yes, you've got Cool. Uh, where it's then going to be manipulated and stuff. And then if they are successful in their manipulations, then they get their dopamine hit, which then stirs on further motivation and helps them to keep going with that. So in my classroom, if I remind them of previous times where they've been successful and stuff, does that help them to set that up for success too? Yes. For And what will happen is it builds up over time, just like a negative mindset set, I can't do this, builds up over time. Remember that achievable challenge, the biggest boost, this release of dopamine, doesn't even have to get to the prefrontal cortex. It's kind of a whole brain thing. Dopamine, when it's released, floats around the brain. It's not just a little synapse. It's a neurotransmitter, but when dopamine is released and bathes the brain, the outcome in mammals includes 
increased memory, motivation, pleasure, satisfaction, memory, I may have said memory, and perseverance and attention. So what we want is what is the most profound way to cause that really positive state of mind from RAS, articular activating system, to amygdala, to prefrontal cortex, to memory, to life, is experiencing the things that release dopamine. So I'll talk more, but I did mention achieving a challenge. Other things that turn out to release whole brain dopamine and those wonderful things such as sustained motivation, memory, perseverance, attention, that whole nice cluster. Other things that turn out to release it include listening to music, being told stories, humor, movement, gratitude, kindness. Those experiences also bathe the brain in this dopamine. But to me, the most powerful one is one I'll relate to you and listeners, achieving a challenge. So the brain will put out, as will the body, directed by the brain, the effort and persevere through the mistakes when a teacher guides through the expectation and provides the support that it's an achievable challenge. So a the ideal situation, and this is what happens in the most compelling video games or skiing experiences, recognizing, a teacher recognizing individually or at least into small groups or through flipped classrooms or pre-planning or personalizing, what will make this student's brain say, hey, this is achievable with effort, but I see how I could get there. And it's still a challenge. And I see that you expect that I can achieve it. That's what it takes. And it's so profound. And that's why I say teaching isn't brain surgery. It's harder because I've done both. (laughs) And every day in a teacher's life, in the 10 years after my practicing of neurology, Every day, each teacher, for every student, for every minute, there are so many factors, as we've talked about, determining what's getting in through attention, what's getting in through the emotional filter, what's making it up to the prefrontal cortex, and are we keeping the emotional filter believing that there's a challenge and it's achievable so it doesn't flip into fight, flight, freeze, act out, zone out. That's so much easier than beautiful ask. So then as we give our teachers something to do this week relating to all this, should they start by, I don't know, maybe introducing music at the beginning of the lesson to get some more dopamine into the kids' brains, tell a joke at the start, or is it more effective to give the students a small achievable challenge maybe as they come into the class that will help them to get into the right um, mind frame, I guess, or mindset? for the learning that's going to come that day? Great question. Be prepared to get three things that video games do. Particular activating system, 
attention will be paid to something. Remember, unless there's a lot of threat to what's curious, what's changed, what's different. What's a buy-in goal? Why should I let this information in? So if you're going to teach a lesson in nutrition that is not their favorite thing or a faculty meeting about sexual harassment, you know, if it's not a big high, high topic, what's going to get their brain and say, okay, I might let that in. So the things that will get through the attention filter the most, once there's not perceived threat, changes in color, movement, volume of sound, not necessarily louder or softer, but if I talk like a robot or walking backwards when they come in. So, or a great curious photo or video when they come in, that is going to connect with what comes next. So now they're hooked, a hook. So they come in, they see something, oh, that's not so bad. Um, and they know because of experience with you that, oh, that curious optical illusion is going to have something to do with this maths lesson. Okay, um, you know, the RAS is going to let it in. Then once they're hooked, then understanding what their goal will be. Okay, this was curious. It's not going to keep their RAS open all day. What are they going to get out of this? So a short-term goal is, that's curious. A longer-term goal is, so what's in it for me? Oh, here's a longer-term goal. I will get to make a color wheel, a slide, uh, even write a letter to somebody who's important. What will I get if I then go on to gain this information that you've now shown me a video about? So they're hooked by the RAS in the color, movement, uh, sound. They're hooked. Okay, I'm interested. This isn't the usual boring stuff. Then showing them options of what they, you have to know them. We all know that. What is, what hooks them and sustains their attention? Is it robots? Is it working in groups? Is it working on computers? We have to know our learners and knowing that say, well, taking this a little bit further, this is what you can do with it. Then before you lose them, because they say, oh, I thought it would be another oral presentation. No, no. How will they build their understanding and demonstrate their skills so that they can get the goal that they want? And especially important, okay, I can see how uh, learning the periodic table of elements, oh, I see it's horizontal and vertical. I see, and you're going to let me use that on the test. So I see that one over and one down or a mathematical multiplication, whatever tools. They see what they want to use it for. Otherwise, who cares? Just another graph. But if they see what they want to use it for and they have now the achievable challenge, how are you going to give them different ways of reaching that goal? through different levels of reading, through flipped classroom, 
through Khan Academy, through um, Udio, through so five different levels of the same material in books that's labeled one to five, but they're not showing everyone, oh, look, everyone, I'm on one. No, saying, I know you can get to level five mastery and your goal, but the system is set up so that they can see they're making progress to the goal that you've confidently let them know that they can achieve and what they'll do with it. That's it. It's not so fancy. It does take time. And like brain surgery, it means a teacher's own achievable challenge. One cannot have a high school class of 50, 100 students three times a day and individualize or personalize their achievable challenge program. But one at a time, one level at a time, when other students see the impact that something is having that you're doing on their classmates, they say, okay, I can do it too. Especially, especially when they understand that their brain will do what it believes is the outcome. They have to know that they weren't bad, stupid, attention disease, they didn't have Tourette syndrome, seizure disorder, because some of those kids have come to me in my neurology office and like one in a hundred has those things. So whatever they've been told they have is unlikely to be who they will be. You wake up with a new brain every morning and the opportunities, the experiences, the positive expectations that we give them changes them every day. Well, thank you so much, Judy, for coming on the podcast, for giving me so much of your time and for explaining the neuroscience behind how students are learning. Uh, I really appreciate you giving us that. My pleasure. (laughs) Great, great students. Achievable challenge achieved. Well, that's it for this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure that you subscribe and that you leave me a great review. I'd love to hear from you. And if you want to see the show notes, see the transcript, or if you would like to actually get the full version of this interview, because I've edited this one to make it a bit shorter for the podcast, but if you want the full video, come over to teacherspd.net slash 85. And you can grab the full video by subscribing there and I'll send it to you in your inbox and you'll be able to watch the full, it's almost an hour long, it's about 45 minutes. Uh, You'll be able to watch that full video and learn more in depth about how the RAD system of teaching and that process and how that influences what we should be doing in our classroom. So thank you so much and I hope that you will join me again next week.